My name's Eric, one of the pastors here at River West. It's great to see you tonight. Uh, We're in a series that's called The Living Church. We're exploring and discovering uh, together what are the seven traits of a living and healthy church. Uh, we're, We're really finding out what is God calling us to be together. We've looked at the first four traits as far, if, if you've been around for a while, I'll, uh, or if you haven't, I guess I'll get you up to speed. But the first four traits have been that Jesus is our focus, the gospel is our truth. Oh, there it is. I didn't plan that. Gratitude is our response, prayer is our power. And tonight we're at the theme of unity, which is our strength. Really, the first four traits of um, of a living and healthy church are, are things that you can do individually. You personally can focus on Jesus. You personally can believe the gospel. You can be a grateful person. You can be a prayer warrior. But you cannot do unity by yourself. The very definition of the word requires another person And so at this point of of our series, we're moving into what we believe is the visible church. What do people see when they see this living church? Pastor Guy kind of ushered us into this theme and trait of unity last week. And And he told us that there's three things that are essential to unity. It's how we see each other, how we treat each other, and how we work together. Last week, we looked at this theme of how we see each other, and we were invited in the question of, will we see each other primarily, uh, each other's identity primarily as um, the tribe that we're a part of? Will we see each other primarily by the political party we might identify with? Will we see each other primarily by an ethnicity or a nationality? If we look at each other that way, we'll miss the point of what God is doing by unifying us. And so we start with this question, will we see the most important thing about us together is what Jesus has done for us? That's how we see each other. Next week, we'll talk about how we work together. How will we work together to tear down walls of hostility? And how will we work together towards the ministry of reconciliation? We're going to discover what do we do together now that we're together. But tonight, we're going to talk about how we treat each other. Tonight's going to be a family talk, and if you're, uh, if you're new to River West Church, welcome to the family. Let's pray. Father, we ask that tonight as we open the scriptures that you would help us, help us to get rid of the cynicism that we often walk around with in our life, help us to remove that. Help us to remove any sense that we are above your word. Help us to be in our our rightful place, which is where you speak to us. We identify ourselves as your servants, and we commit our way to follow you, to learn from you. We don't want to just be informed by you. We want to be transformed by you tonight. And so would you help that to happen as we open your word? In Jesus' name, somebody said Amen. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians has been a bit of, it's been the book that sort of launched us into a lot of these different traits. And we're going to spend time in the first six verses. Invite you to listen to this tonight. This is God's word. 
Ephesians 4 says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I invite you tonight to to look around. I know you're probably not going to do that, but maybe just, just look around, think about the space that we're in Tonight, I'm talking about the building that we're in. Some of you know the story of this building. You know that we, Riverwest Church, didn't build this building. We didn't design it. We didn't construct it. There was 20-something years ago an architect. Uh, there was a designer. There was builders, there was a general contractor, there was subcontractors, there was a, a team of people that constructed this place, but it wasn't us. But we are stewards of this place. We're stewards of the space that we have. We're, we're stewards of this building that we're in. There's a, um, there's a team here of folks that, that is called our facility team. Um, They work here at the church. Some of them are high schoolers. Some of them are retired. Uh, It's an amazing team of people, young and old, who work together, and their primary role in their job here is to maintain this space, to take care of it, to maintain it so that it can be a place where um, ministry can happen, to maintain it in in such a way that... um, the classrooms are, are ready for children to come into it. They maintain the room that like 900 million high schoolers just walked down to. They take care of this place so that we can do the work of ministry. There's a person who leads this team. He's a legend. His name's Gary Gibson. Some of you know them. In your hearts, you're cheering for him right now if you know him. And he, Gary exudes this phrase that maybe you heard. It's right in the middle of this passage in verse 3. He exudes this phrase, eager to maintain. Gary, he, he's always thinking about this place. He, it matters to Gary that the gutters are clear. It matters to Gary that the lines in the parking lot are freshly painted. Every inch of this place matters to him. The carpet, the windows, the ceiling, the cobwebs in that ceiling. Like, you'll never see it because it's taken care of. He cares about every inch of this place. He's eager to maintain it. And I I love it. He's always looking ahead. He's, he's, not just look, he's not just reacting to problems like, oh, the coffee spilled there and I need to take care of that. He's, he's looking ahead. He's looking to what the building's going to need six weeks from now. What is the building going to need three months from now? What, is, what needs to happen a year from now? I, I promise you this happens. Like, like a week ago, I'll get, a, I'll get an email from Gary that says, hey, I just want to let you know that we're going to paint the parking lot lines in, in July of 2020. I'm like, who, who thinks that far ahead ever? I don't even know what I'm doing tomorrow. But Gary is always thinking ahead. It's, and it's, it's because he's, he's eager to maintain 
this place. He's eager to see it continue to be what it was designed for. The favorite thing about Gary, though, is that, that his passion transfers to his team. So these, this, this team, this facility team of young and old people, they've caught on to it too. They care. They're not like drudgingly walking around like wiping a window down. They have the kind of eagerness that they've seen in the person that's leading them. And so there's this environment here of, of people who say, you know, this place matters. We need to take care of it. We need to steward it. And you and I, are the beneficiaries of that. You and I, our experience is, is elevated because of the work that someone else does. Tonight, I'm going to invite you into the facility team because our friends from Five Rock are not here. They normally clean up the building, so I'm going to invite you after dinner in about an hour to put this illustration to the test and clean up some chairs. Is, am I being? I am being manipulative. The whole story was was um, deeply manipulative, but we're the beneficiaries of someone else's work. We didn't create this place, but we're called to maintain and steward it. And it's, I think it's sort of the same way with relationships, isn't it? Unity is, isn't an abstract idea. Um, unity is about people getting along with each other. We talked earlier about, like, unity is about how we treat each other. And anyone who's been in any kind of a relationship knows that relationships take maintenance, don't they? It takes work. You work at it. You try to look ahead. What, where's this relationship going? Where is it headed? And Paul, in our passage tonight, and we'll go back to verse 3, he um, of chapter four, we'll put it back up on the screen. Is Paul is speaking to this group of Jesus followers in the city of Ephesus two thousand years ago. He comes at them with this phrase: "I want you to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit." I want to say this about unity tonight: we don't create Christian unity. We don't make it happen. God makes it happen. Did you notice that it says up there, the unity of the Spirit? What does that mean? It means that our unity together is not something that we initiate. It's something that we steward. God himself unites us together in Christ and by the Holy Spirit. So tonight, what we want to do is we want to answer a few questions. And the first question is, well, what kind of unity are we actually talking about? And it's in verses 4 through 6. I'm going to read this, invite you to read on the screen or look in your Bibles together. This is the kind of unity that Paul is talking about. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. That, those three verses could be like a nine-month series, but I'll, I'll, I'll say it to you this way. What those verses are telling us is that you don't create unity. God does it. Through Christ and by the Holy Spirit, God has actually made us to be one. 
And so what Paul is saying in that verse is, I want you to be eager to maintain that. The word eager, it's, 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 I like the word, but it's a bit weak. The original word that is used there for eagerness is, is this. It says, it means willingness plus activity. I like that. So it's not just like, I'm willing to do that, but I'm actually willing and I'm going to do something about it. Eager to maintain the unity that God has actually given us through his spirit. So we're seeing that, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on the what. The what is, is, is that we are united together in Christ. But I think that tonight you're probably asking the question of how are we going to do that? How are we going to maintain that? You know, maintenance doesn't just take uh, willingness and kind of random activity. If you've ever worked a maintenance job, you know that you need the right tools. Am I right? You need the right things to maintain something that's already there. And this scriptures, the scriptures tonight have given us what those tools are. And it's in verse 2. I want to um, put this on the screen. This, these are the tools that we have to maintain the unity that God has initiated. It's this. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. That's it. Those are the tools that we have to maintain what God is doing and has created by bringing us together. And so tonight I want to I look at those words, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance. I have a slide I want to put on the screen. This is how I think we're supposed to look at these words. These words, um, actually, the first two words and the third and fourth word go together. And I think it's actually really important that we see them that way. The first word of, of each of these couple of words, the first word is an attitude. And the second word is an activity. So this is, this is, this is how we maintain something. It starts with the right kind of attitude. So I want to talk about this theme of humility. By the way, this, this list is not exciting. It's not about your skills. It's not about what you do. It's, it's, it's not an entertaining list of, oh, here's how we're going to do it. We're going to do it because, like, I'm going to play the guitar, and it's going to be awesome, and so-and-so is going to do this. It's like, it's not exciting, and I think intentionally it is that way. It starts with humility. The Greek language which Paul wrote in, he wrote this um, passage of scripture and, and many passages of scriptures in actually doesn't have a word for humility. At least not the kind of word that Paul used when he wrote to this group of people. The reason the Greeks didn't have a word for humility was because it was a useless concept to them. Humility didn't, humility didn't get anything done for the Greek culture and for many cultures. Humility isn't helping us in human progress and so they didn't, they didn't even have a word. They didn't have a word that was remotely positive that would be used to describe it. So actually, and this is a true thing, the, the, the idea of humility is a uniquely Christian idea. Was the first followers of Jesus came up with this term of a concept that people understood, 
a concept that the Greeks would say this is actually the most worthless attitude you could possibly have. And Christians rose it up to the highest virtue of their faith. So what does the word humility mean? It, it, the, the word that we're looking at there is lowliness. So now you understand why it's not an exciting word in any culture. It's lowliness. This idea of, of lowliness is, is actually, actually the word, it actually means a, a lower view of self, which maybe you're cringing at. And you're saying, well, that's, God doesn't want me to have a low view of myself. But he, here's, here's how humility starts. We have to look back and think back to um, chapter 2 of Ephesians. And I'm, and I'm not going to, um, to read chapter um, 2, verses 1 to 9 for you. I'll just paraphrase it for you. It goes something like this. This is how you and I are described. It says, you were dead in your sin. It says, you were dead in your trespasses. Not only were you dead in your sin, you were enslaved to your desires and your bodies. Ephesians 2 describes life outside of Christ as one without hope. And then in, in this passage, and I want you to go back to it at some point over this next week in Ephesians chapter 2, it, it is declared that it is really actually bad. And then it has this verse that says, but God, being rich in love and mercy has saved you. And raised you. It says, by grace you've been saved. It says, this isn't of your own doing. And it says, you don't have anything to boast about. There's a lot of great books about humility, but I would just encourage you to read Ephesians 2. Anytime you feel like your life calls for humility, and it does actually at every moment. It's this view of self that says, God is actually so great. This is how terrible my circumstances were, but God stepped into my life. That's where humility begins. It's the, the place of humility has an incredible view of God. But it leads us in a certain kind of direction. Paul writes about humility somewhere else um, in Philippians chapter 2. You don't need to turn there. We'll put it on the screen for you. Paul says this about our relationships with each other in humility. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So humility which is the first tool that we have to maintain unity, is an attitude, is a disposition that puts both God and others above me. And it leads us to treat each other in a certain kind of way. I want to put that slide back up of the, of the four words. Humility actually leads us to treat people in a certain kind of way, and that is gentleness. If humility is the attitude, then gentleness is the way that we actually begin to treat each other. So what does it mean to treat another person with gentleness? I think it goes back to what we've seen in Ephesians 2, uh, and we start to ask the question, well, how has God treated me? Ephesians 2 tells us that this is the reality of, of how lost and how frail and how broken we were, and then we see how God treated us. 
Did you notice then, uh, as I was talking about Ephesians 2, we're, we're actually described as children of wrath. So how has God treated us? He took children of wrath and said, I'm going to make you my sons and daughters. So what we have, what we have is actually a model for how to treat each other. When someone sins against you, we have this model of, of, well, what has God done for me? How has God treated me? We have this attitude of, of humility that, that leads us in such a way that when others mistreat us, we, we start to say, well, well, look what God has done for me. Humility is when we see the grace of God for what it is. And gentleness is when we show the grace of God to one another. And it's a beautiful picture. It's, it's really the first tool for maintaining unity. Remember, we don't create unity, but we're called to steward it. And how do we do it? Humility and gentleness. The second tool that we have, we'll put that back. We can leave that up for a while. Um, the second tool that we have is patience and forbearance. A couple other words that aren't that exciting maybe to you tonight, but patience is the attitude that shapes a community of Christ who's already unified together. Patience is the attitude that we should have. If humility reminds us that we did nothing to earn God's favor, I think that patience reminds us that we're still in process. And it invites us to look at the people around us in such a way. We didn't do anything to earn our way into God's favor. And even once we're in God's family, isn't God still patient with you? Isn't that why we're here? God's been so patient with us. God has begun a great work in each one of us, and he's going to complete that work. But we stumble and we fall and we trip up along the way, and we look at God and, and we say, oh, he's been so patient with me. And then I think what Paul is saying here is, couldn't you have that perspective with one another? Patience is the, is the attitude that we are invited into. And then we get this word forbearance. That's not a word that we use very often. But I think that the attitude of patience leads us to this word forbearance, which could actually be uh, translated as endurance. Now, if you're in a relationship with someone who's following Jesus and you, and you guys are in relationship together, you better be ready to endure with someone. You've been married to someone and you know, we, we need to endure. This is not one of the more exciting words of a relationship, but it's something that God calls us into. Another way of translating that word forbearance is restraint. So when we're thinking about our relationships with other followers of Jesus, we're thinking about endurance and restraint. 
The temptation that we have with the relationships that we have with people is to always be diagnosing each other and then prescribing each other what we actually need to do. Like if I was to sit down with you and tell you about the insecurities I have, the problems I have, the issues that I'm still working with, you'd probably very quickly be like, I know what you need to do. I know what's wrong with you. You just need to stop doing this and start doing this, and then everything is going to be better. And this is, this is the way I think we often treat each other in Christian relationships or in our community groups. We're, we're tempted to say, let me just tell you what you need to do. But we forget about how patient God is with us. And this idea of forbearance is actually restraint. Yesterday, I was sitting with my mentor, uh, a guy named Bill. I've known him since I was 19 years old. He was the college pastor at the university that I went to. And um, so he was, he's been my pastor for almost half of my life. And um, I was sitting down with him and was talking about hard things, talking about things that are going on in my life. And I was sharing things with him. And as I was sharing it, I was thinking like, oh my gosh, I said this to you when I was 20. You know what I mean? It's like, it was like so far down the road. I'm like, I'm still doing this. And the thing that I love about Bill, the thing that has been so great in my life is, is his restraint in those moments. If you've ever walked with someone who's older and wiser than you, you're, you're not only transformed by what they say, but also by what they don't say. You know what I mean? Or, or at least when they say it. So many times I've been sharing something with with Bill, maybe it was confessing a sin or, or, or talking about an insecurity I have. And I'm thinking like, he has so much ammo on me right now. Like he could just like verbally just smack me across the face. What's wrong with you, Johnson? So many times he could do that. But so often he sits back and he listens and he nods. And he's just there with me as I'm processing And yesterday as I was sitting with him, I finally figured out why he does that. Why he's such a good pastor. The reason he's such a great pastor is because fundamentally, Bill believes that God is patient with us. And if God can be patient with us, then we could be patient with each other. There have been things that I've interpreted from from mine and Bill's relationship two, three, four years down the road because of the way he listened to me, because of the way he processed with me, because he was patient with me. It's a beautiful thing. It's actually changed my life, the way another person has endured with me. And we're invited into this. This is the way we're invited to treat each other with humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance. And I I imagine that some of you are thinking about another verse in the Bible because you're you're thinking about relationships and you're thinking about, we're thinking about conflict and when it's hard to be in relationship with people and you're thinking about that verse, aren't you thinking about that verse? Doesn't the Bible say to speak the truth in love? Like, when are we going to get to that verse? Because that's the verse we all like, right? Like, when somebody does something against me, 
I'm not thinking about humility and gentleness. I'm thinking like, I'm going to speak the truth, maybe in love. That is a verse in the Bible that actually appears several verses after this. And I think the order is imperative for us. Because we want, I, I want to I like, speak the truth and love to you. And Paul says, sure, but why not start with an attitude of humility that recognizes just how low God stooped to pull you out of the pit? And what about treating people in the way that he's treated us with gentleness? And when someone screws up for the 900th time, what if we had the attitude of, God has been so patient with me and that led me to restrain my hassling someone for messing up again. Can we get to speaking the truth in love? Not if we don't start here. Not if we don't start with humility, gentleness, and patience, and forbearance. If we begin to live in and exude those things, then yeah, we could start to speak the truth and love to one another. But how often do we go straight to that and we forget the attitude that God's called us to? Forget about how he's treated us. Forget about how much he's loved us. This is the way we'll maintain unity. This is the way we'll stay together. Humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearance. We've seen the what. We've seen what kind of unity we're talking about. It's not vague, you know, brothers and sisters of the earth. It's, it's the unity that comes when people follow Jesus and they're filled with his spirit. We're seeing how, like how are we going to do this? It's, it's these things. But tonight I want to leave you with the why. Why are we going to do this? Why do we need to maintain unity? What is the point? Is it just so that we'll all like each other more? It's actually much, much bigger than that. I want to put up Ephesians 4 verse 1. It says this. This is how Paul starts. Usually when we preach, we start at the top of the passage and work our way down. Tonight, maybe you've noticed, we start at the bottom and we're working our way up. We'll see. It says this. Paul says this in Ephesians 4. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That's how this passage we just looked at starts. Unity is something we're called into. It's something that God has done. You know, a lot of times when we talk about calling, I, I love the word calling, but when we talk about calling, we want to go straight to like, what am I going to do for the Lord? How has God gifted me? What are my skills? What, what am I going to do for Jesus? See, a lot of times we think our calling is vocational, but in actuality, at least in this passage, our calling is primarily relational. The calling that we have in our life is not just what we do for the Lord, but actually how we treat God's people. You know, God has big plans for our community. Huge plans. God looks at his, the community of Christ that's in these 
smaller communities through all throughout the world and all throughout history. And he says, I'm going to use that to take over the world. And I'm going to show you why he said that. John 17, verse 20. We're going to look at this tonight. John 17 is the high priestly prayer of Jesus. This is what he prayed right before he was arrested, um, beaten, put on trial, crucified, and laid in a grave. This is the way that he prayed for his disciples who are about to become his church. He said this, I did not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may may believe that you have sent me. Did you notice that? So that, that the world may believe you sent me. He goes on, he says, the glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Unity is our highest calling. Unity is our best evangelization of the world. Maintaining unity, I'm going to argue, is actually more useful to God than standing on a street corner shouting at people. Jesus seemed to be convinced that if his people loved each other, if somebody walked into a room of of a community of Jesus followers and they saw people that loved each other, that were patient with each other, that were enduring with each other, that were gentle with each other, and that were humble, Jesus seemed to think if somebody walked into a room and saw that, it would change their life. Jesus is saying, I'm going to change the world by bringing people together and I'm going to teach them how to maintain what I've started and initiated in them. And so when we come together, that's what we're doing. That's what Sunday night is about. That's why we sing about the gospel. That's why we sing songs that talk about how bad it was were it not for Jesus. Every week, we remind ourselves of that. Every week, We sing and we worship and we open up the scriptures and we preach the gospel because it leads us to greater humility. And it helps us to treat each other with gentleness. We become increasingly more patient with each other because we've seen how patient God has been with us. And God says, I'll use a community like that. I'll use a lot of communities like that. And I'll change the whole world. And that's his plan. So tonight I want to invite you to get to work. You know, if you, if you feel like, yeah, I don't actually have to, um, I, I have these relationships with people, but I don't have to, we don't ever have to do humility or be gentle or patient with each other. If that's you, then you're not actually in Christian community. To be in Christian community means to be stretched. It means that you're going to have to love each other in a certain kind of way. And this is the best way that we show the world who Jesus is. So tonight, we come to the table. And I want you to consider a few things tonight. I want you 
to ask the question, well, how has God treated me? And you'll actually come to the table and you'll find that answer. And I want you to ask the question as we prepare to come to the tables, how has God been patient with me? I'm going to invite the band up here and what I want to do tonight is I want to encourage you to, to ask yourself how God has treated you, what he has done in you and for you. But I want you to ask yourself, who do I need to share that same love with? Maybe it's someone in your community group. Perhaps it's the person sitting next to you. Maybe before you come to the table, you might want to look at them and say, I'm so sorry for the way I've treated you, for what I've said or what I've done. I'm sorry for not being patient with you. Because it's when we live this out together that God can use us in the most powerful ways. The table brings us together. It levels the playing field. Nothing is earned. All is grace. We're given that by God in Christ and invited that to extend that to one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your son who stepped into our world in humility. Your son who descended from the highest place in heaven to the lowliest place on earth. You don't have a problem being humble. You don't have a problem being patient. We do. And so, Lord, we ask tonight as we come to your table to receive this powerful reminder of what you have done for us. I pray that you would change our hearts. I pray that you would open our eyes to see each other differently, to treat each other differently. Lord, I, I, I pray, God, that you would help us to realize that this calling is not something we move on from. It takes work. I think tonight, Lord, that you're probably calling some to, to step deeper into community. I pray that you'd help them to do that in faith. I believe, Lord, that, that tonight you're, you're calling some of us to ask for forgiveness or um, some of us to receive someone back maybe that we've given up on. I just pray, Lord, that tonight you would help us to turn our eyes to Jesus. As we sing, as we come to the table, as we sit around the dinner table later tonight, 
I pray for great opportunities to show humility and gentleness and patience with each other, to share from our lives together. Thank you for the unity that you've given us, that you've called us into. I pray you'd help us to maintain it and to steward it well. In Jesus' name, amen.